Good morning. Great to be here. I'm so glad that you could join with us today. And uh, we're going to continue in our series um, entitled The Call. And that's basically looking over our whole, this whole year, 2021, uh, that I see as the renovation of the heart. And I see that throughout the whole church globally, just as everybody is re-examining what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, which is challenging in and of itself. And if you, and if you don't think it is, <laughs> uh, well, we're going to explore some of, his, some of Jesus' teachings, but also the postures that Jesus calls us to. But before we begin, let us just pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for that your presence walks with us day by day, moment by moment, that you express yourselves to us, your nearness to us in many ways. And Father, we thank you that we can lean into you to know, Lord, that you care for us, that you love us. Lord, we just lift up those families that are going through difficult times right now in whatever way that looks. We pray for our leaders of our nation and of our province and of our city here, Lord, that you would guide them as they have to make decisions, as they have to try and navigate. And so, Father, we just thank you for your presence here right now. We lift up all the churches that are live streaming and doing what they can to just to have your, the good news of Jesus proclaimed. So, Father, we just ask you to come now. In your name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I stumbled onto a book, and I can't exactly remember how I did. It's a science book called Biocentrism, and since then there's been a couple other books written. But this, these books, or who I've been uh, reading from is a guy by the name of Robert Lanza, who's a well-respected scientist throughout the world. And uh, this whole thing of biocentrism is intriguing. It's a study, it's a study of science, and uh, it's inspired by quantum theory, uh, cosmology, and it's exploring the whole thing of consciousness. And what it states is, is that life is not a product of the universe, that rather life created the universe. I know that's a little bit mind-bending, right? <laughs> sort of stretching of the mind. Uh, but Lanza writes that these concepts are hard to grasp because all of our life we've been taught something different, another way, and that the universe created life as opposed to life creating the universe. And that when you're confronted with something that is, doesn't seem to fit, it's jarring, is, is the only word to use to describe it. However, this is no more of a stretch for us, this whole concept, biocentrism, than it was for the people of Copernicus's day. And Nicholas Copernicus, he was mathematician, astronomer, and also a Catholic canon who, he was exploring the, the cosmos with, you know, the telescope that he had of that day. And he came to this understanding what he's known for, what he's famous for, is that actually the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. That it's the earth that revolves around the sun. And that was jarring for the people of that day, even for some of the people within the church, some of the leaders in the church. And it was hard because what they had been taught as truth was actually the opposite of what 
Copernicus had discovered. And uh, now we take for granted, of course, the earth revolves around the sun. Uh, but in Copernicus's day, uh, thinking, that type of thinking would ruin, could ruin your reputation, if not more, if you get what I mean. And I want us to, you know, for us to remember that our minds and our understanding of the world, I would compare it to, and I'm not dating myself because these are now in vogue today, but the vinyl LP record, right? Um, and how they are made is that grooves are cut into that record. They're, in, they're implanted in there, and that's where the song is. But it only plays that one song. Whatever is, whatever was, is carved into that record, that's the only song that you hear. And my understanding of life is much like that. What I've learned, what I've grown up with, is like an LP record that has the grooves carved into it. So why am I talking about all of this? It's a good question to ask. Well, Jesus came into a world to show us through his words, through his actions, who God really was. And Jesus brought the kingdom in profound ways, such as signs and wonders and miracles, and they were mind-blowing, to say the least. And they still are today when they take place. But what he taught and how he lived was just as hard for the people to accept as it was for the people of Copernicus' day to accept that the earth revolved around the sun. For the Jewish academics, for the priests, for the scholars, for the religious leaders of, that, of Jesus' day, this was like a 180. This was jarring. And the only word they would use to describe what Jesus was teaching, some of them, was this, this has got to be blasphemous. Heavy charge. But that's how it made them feel. So, as I ponder that, it doesn't surprise me at all why Jesus didn't choose any of the religious elite, you know, the top thinkers, the priests, all the, the bigwigs in the temple. He didn't choose any of them as his disciples. Not one. <laughs> um, and of course not, because when you think about it, the groove that would have been carved into them would have been so deep, there's no way they could have wrap their heads around what Jesus was teaching. There is no way. Their understanding of who God was, their understanding of what the Messiah should look like, be like, act like, teach. Uh, Jesus didn't fit that at all. Not, not, not in their grooves. Didn't fit at all. Jesus instead chooses fishermen, tax collectors, and who else what the other guys were like. Some common people, not the religious elite. But even those young guys, in order to accept Jesus' offer to come follow me, they had to leave something behind. They had, there's something they had to walk away from. Otherwise, they would be battling. There would be this battle that would be going on between what, what they understood in their minds and what Jesus was teaching. And they had, they had this thing of having to leave behind things. Let me give you three examples. The first example I'd give you is coming from, this is written by Matthew, and it's in chapter 4. And here it says that one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, 
throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now you're going to notice that you're going to notice a common theme through the next two as well. Matthew again, but this is in chapter nine, tells another story of a disciple being called. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Similar theme. And then in John's gospel, we have here the following day, John, who is John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. The decision to follow Jesus required all of them to leave something behind. They had to walk away from something. See, maybe you're thinking, are you saying, Scott, that we need to walk away from our jobs? Absolutely not. That would be way too simple. The nets that Jesus asks us to leave behind are much more difficult to walk away from. And so you have to ask the question, what are the nets that I need to leave behind? Now I'm going to give you three, what I figure are concrete examples, things I've had to leave behind. Uh, Let me correct that. (laughs) Things I am practicing leaving behind because it's not that easy as just walking away. But things, three, three things that I think are fairly important for us to be able to walk away from. You could add to these, but I think these three are probably the biggest, I think. We'll see. First, I'd like to talk to you about, is about the one net being my gods. My gods? What's that? (laughs) Well, let me give you some examples of my gods. It's anything or anyone whom I have allowed to have unconditional influence in how I think, how I perceive, how I act. I don't do that. Don't be so quick to say you don't do it. Technology today, the internet today, is wired. That what you click on, and I've mentioned this before, what you click on, they'll feed you. And that can end up becoming can influence that, that whatever it is you're listening to or whatever, however, whatever they're feeding you can impact how you think, how you perceive the world, and how you end up acting. Another one, another what I'd put as my, one of my gods, one of, not my gods, but what could be a god. Any and all allegiances. What do I mean by that? Okay. I was listening to someone, there, there, it was a person I was talking with this past week. And they mentioned that, and it was a, just a conversation we were having, and they mentioned, I'm, I'm an evangelical. And I challenged them on that. Challenged them because, first and foremost, we've got to be careful what, what title we give ourselves or who, what brand we're following or anything like that. Because let's get real serious about this whole thing, this whole, this, this whole calling that Jesus calls us to follow him. 
that this is a life thing. This isn't just, it's just not another, another aspect of who we are. This is who we are, followers of Jesus. And my challenge was, first and foremost, all of us are followers of Jesus. That's who we follow. That's who influences us. That's who we call Lord. It's no more. And I no longer call myself a conservative or a liberal or NDP or green or whatever. You know, I don't, I don't fall under any of those labels. Those aren't what define me because what I want to define me at the end of the day is I want Jesus to have the final say on the person I am and how I see others and how I see God. That's who I want to define me. Allegiances, right? Another God, this is an easy one, is money. We all know that. And that's very clear throughout the scriptures, right? Both Old and New Testament. Beware of money because it, it can become your God, right? Influence you. We see that throughout the world, how money has power and influence. But those are things to walk away. That's one thing, my gods. Number two, my worldview. Worldview, what's that? Well, so I've been born at a certain time in a certain place, in a certain country, certain culture, taught certain ways. You know, there's a level of prosperity I was born into and on and on and on it goes. It's things I listen to, things I watch, how I observe, all of those things that form my perception of how I see the world. Let me give you an example. I want to, uh, uh, this, this, this sentence I'm going to read to you is a worldview. And we've heard this sentence many times this past year. We are living in unprecedented times like never before. That's a worldview sentence. Because that depends where you live. Unprecedented for my lifetime, yes. In my world, yes. But if you ask someone who's, li- who's born, raised, and living, and living in Syria, let's say, for example, it's all relative what's unprecedented because of what they're going through. You take someone who's living in a, in a refugee camp that doesn't have a, people who are stateless. They don't have a country, a nationality to call their own. And poverty, abject poverty, all relative. You ask someone here in your city or in Cambridge here who is experiencing homelessness right now. Unprecedented times? Depends what you're comparing it to. That's a worldview. That's a worldview. Problem is, is that my worldview becomes my filter and how I see everything and how I interpret everything. Everything gets filtered through that. Scripture does, uh, which can, can all, and all of this filtering skews my life, skews how I see the world. Not wrong, because we all experience it. No matter what country you live in, we all experience this. We're human beings. But it skews our view of life, of God, of people. And if I'm honest, my view is narrow. And the problem with having a narrow view, guys, it can, doesn't always, but it can lead to a mind of certainty that I'm certain about everything. I become certain of who God is. I become certain of who you are. I become certain of all of life, what life is all about. Certain of everything. 
when I arrive at that place, God help you if you think differently than me. Because when I arrive at that place, you're wrong, I'm right. And that's the problem with if we hold tightly to our worldview that this is it. I understand. I see it all. I can tell you what the truth is. The tr- Listen to me. I have all of it. One of the wisest words said was said by the Apostle Paul. And here is Paul. Paul who was, he was a religious elite, but when he became a follower of Jesus, he leaned heavily on the, on the guys who were actual disciples of Jesus, who were with Jesus, lived with him, slept with him for three full years. Paul learned from them. So if anybody knew what Jesus was all about, Paul did. But note Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Notice the words. I know we we tend to gravitate to what we will be able to see and understand. But understand, Paul knew his reality right now. That it was imperfect. That it was partial. That it was incomplete. And Paul, that, the verse that follows that, and I don't have it up on the screen here right now, but he says there's three things Paul would say are certain or that remain. That's faith, hope, and love. Those are the three things that Paul would call us to hold on to. That's number two. Number three, what other net do you need to walk away from or do I need to walk Am I learning to walk away from? Because <laughs> I go back to it all the time. Sometimes. My rights. That phrase, my rights. I know, that's a touchy one right now. And I understand. But I want you to hear me out here on this one. The Jesus way and those who follow him have a different perspective of this whole thing of my rights. Different. It's different because the kingdom of God is is birthed out of love, right? That's what it's birthed out of. And love always prefers the other, right? Love's concern is for the other, not for itself. You know why? Because the other is made in the image of God. And love always serves. Love always does. You see that with Jesus. Jesus was always about serving. The phrase, my rights, is a foreign concept for followers of Jesus. It just doesn't jive with how, what Jesus talked about, what he taught, how he lived his life, and what he calls us to. Now, in the 21st century, the whole topic of rights is huge. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a major topic. And I don't disagree with that. Why? I know this might sound confusing, but I don't disagree with it because, but it's it's there because we don't treat others with human dignity. We don't see other people as created in the image of God. We categorize people. And I've said this before. There's something automatic in my head that when I 
I can just be walking down the street and, and pass somebody and something in my mind goes, and I put them in a category of whatever that is. But there's only one category in the kingdom. And every person, every human being created in the image of God. Now, does the scripture talk about rights? Yeah, it does actually. But it talks about us defending the rights of other people. When we see people that are made to feel less than, people that are maybe, you know, are categorized in a lesser, in a lesser category, less than created in the image of God, we are called to speak up. That's justice. That's what God is for. That's why God hates that when people are divided or separated or, or put in a, in a lower category than what God had intended. Because that's not the kingdom. The kingdom sees every human being as created in the image of God. So if I see that you're being deprived of basic human dignity, I'll defend your right to be treated properly to be treated as you should be, created in the image of God. You're God's creation. So those are three nets I would say are fairly important. So when you compare that to walking away from your job, walking away from the job is it would be easy to follow Jesus if that's all it was, if that's all that was meant. These, <laughs> these are hard. And you can see why to, for Jesus to call the religious leaders of his day, that would have been disaster. But Jesus was wise, was smart. And he calls us to leave these, our nets behind. Not easy <laughs> at all. Because if you hold on to them, if, if you hold on to them and drag them with you, it makes a tough following. Tough following because you're always coming up against what Jesus was teaching. Because these, these grooves that are cut in, they're into our mind. Our, they form our perception of life. And we can't erase them. It's not like I can just, you know, somehow, it's not, it's not like on my computer I can highlight and delete. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. These are grooves that are formed in my mind, right? But I can hold them loosely. Because when we call Jesus Lord, it means Jesus is Lord. Jesus is above anything and everything else. So I hold how I see life loosely and I hold on to Jesus tightly. And if you remember from last week's teaching, I used the uh, illustration of the 19th century tightrope walker, Charles Blondin, who carried his manager, Harry Colcourt, across the Niagara Gorge. And it was daring, it was not daring, it was probably terrifying for Harry to climb onto the back and go across the gorge. Sometimes it can be terrifying to just crawl on somebody's back. But it was terrifying for him. But before Harry got up on the back, it was Blondin who turned to him and said, look, I want you to hear me. Three things. And these are three things I believe Jesus would tell us today. Put your full weight on me, Harry. Become one with me and trust me. And those are, those are, that's how we walk through this life. Yes, we have these nets pulling at us. But Jesus calls us to come. Put your full weight on me. Become one with me and trust me. And I am convinced the older I get that Jesus has the way to real life of how to really live life and live it to the 
fullest. I'm convinced of that. And so join me, join us. And when I say us, I'm not talking about the Vineyard Church. I'm talking about the church in general. As we journey with Jesus, becoming more like him, less like us. Let me pray right now. I want to pray for you. Father, Lord, I just ask for those, Lord, who have heard this. And, and Lord, we're all, we, every day we get faced with our, what feels like our nets that we're dragging behind sometimes that we haven't fully let go of. And yet, Jesus, you're so patient with us and you continue day in and day out to call us, to call us to you, to let go of those, to embrace your teaching, not just your teaching, but to embrace your way of life, embrace your way of seeing the world. And so, Lord, for those who are watching right now, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the grace they need. I thank you, Father, that you have given us your Holy Spirit freely. Your Holy Spirit is the one who comes along and helps us and shows us when we're grabbing back onto those nets to let it go again, to let them go, to follow and to trust. And so, Father, I pray for those as they go through their week, whatever it is they're going to face, that, Lord, they would know that you are trustworthy to put their full weight on you. And, Lord, for those, Lord, who are listening, who maybe they haven't made a decision to follow you, but they're curious, Lord, would you just come to them this week and show them that, oh, yeah, Jesus can be fully trusted with my life that I can put my full weight on him. And I pray for you, if you're making that decision, I say, first of all, yay, you won't regret it. And I want you to know that Jesus will be like a, like you're a friend you've never, ever had. Jesus will walk with you, will be with you, and, will he, and you'll find that Jesus is the doorway to God who created you in his image. So, Father, I just pray your blessing on everyone right now, and we thank you for your presence that is here. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys, and have a great week.